Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 67 of the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and I've got all kinds of announcements to make right now, actually only two. Um, one, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see we're giving away tickets, uh, courtesy of Brewers Alley to their craft beer and artisan chocolate tasting experience. And then I'm happy to announce the second annual Frederick Craft Spirits Festival on April 21st at the Frederick Fairgrounds this year instead of outside since we had the torrential downpour. Um, so we're going with a little bit of a indoor experience this time just in case of inclement weather and this year uncapped it is being officially uh presented by the uncapped podcast and magazine so now we can move on to our guest who's been patiently waiting for uh while we had a series of debacles this morning and uh mistake after mistake but all the way from columbia maryland not the country we have brad blackwell from Lost Ark Distilling Company. Yeah, thanks for having me. You said patiently waiting. I'm patiently drinking, actually. <laughs> I'd say, well, it's much easier to patiently wait while drinking, isn't it? Exactly. Um, so you, um, you're located in Columbia, Maryland. Right. Very conveniently located right next to, uh, well, not, are you right next to, or there's some things in between uh, Hysteria? We literally share a wall. Okay, so you are right next yeah. to each other. So that, that's turned probably turned into quite the little uh, den of debauchery in that <laughs> little part of Columbia. Yeah, we're best friends. We get in trouble. <laughs> so where? let's start out just where did the name Lost Art come from? I always love telling this story, and it's, it's the reason why we kind of uh, – wanted to have a name like this so that it would always raise the question so we could always tell our story. Um, Lost Ark comes from the early Maryland settlers that came in the early 1600s to colonize Maryland. They came from England. They came over on two ships, the Ark and the Dove, in 1634, floated across the ocean for four months. They were the first sent here to, to colonize, and they had to do everything by hand and do what they could find or do what they could do with what they could find locally. So um, we kind of feel that that's a lost art, that people do things by hand. And uh, we want to kind of honor that mentality because we do everything by hand. We do it the, kind of the old-fashioned way. Um, every part of the process is, is done by us. So um, Lost Art, and then we wanted to honor the ship they came over on the Ark. So that's how we came up with the name. Oh, cool. Um, so then what, what were you doing before you decided to start a distillery? We're actually still doing it. Both of oh, us still cool. have our day jobs. So we work. I didn't like constantly two and a half jobs now. <laughs> it's crazy. So a lot of people say, do you work, do this part time? Definitely not. It's more than full time, but, um, we do it work. So I was originally from Alabama, grew up down there and, uh, joined the army. Army brought me up to Fort Meade here in Maryland and liked it and stayed. The amount of people who get into producing alcohol, um, that originated in it or engineering in general is astounding. Mm-hmm. Is it? must show something about um that profession yeah i mean so makes you want to drink and then i guess you can't keep up with buying it so you have to make it yourself <laughs> right and that's funny you say that it, a lot of the tours i give i always kind of joke people will ask me how we got started and i always say well in it work and it drove me to drinking so <laughs> that's why i'm here but yeah i mean the engineering and stuff too i mean that's a little bit of what i do during the day and on the day job is um 
you know, engineering on the IT side. So it, the only thing with that that bothered me was at the, at the beginning of the day, I, I come to my desk, I sit down, and at the end of the, end of the day, I get up and roll my chair back up, and what do I really have to show for the day? And um, I'm a very hands-on kind of crafty person. I like to see what I've done. I, I, maybe some of that comes from growing up in Alabama doing construction work. And um, even if I was building a sidewalk or putting a roof on or remodeling a bathroom, whatever it was, at the end of the day, even though you're exhausted and beat down from the hard work, you got something to show for it. And that's something that's always been missing in the day job. So you, you also have a uh, – there's a co-founder also. Correct? Right. Andy. Andy. And does he, does he do the same – Type of work? Yep. yep. We both do the same type of work. That's actually how we met. We were sitting in a building in the basement in the corner with no windows. Naturally started talking about drinking, and um, we both were home brewing. We started brewing together. One thing led to another, and we said, hey, let's do this. So I don't know. What is it with companies wanting to shove IT people into corners without without windows? Because I, I also were, um, I work in the IT department of the newspaper, and for the last 10 years, I've been – now, it's, it's a very large office, but there are no windows. Actually, I lie. We have three windows, and they just show into a bunch of blinking lights in the server room. <laughs> um, I, I do get to move into a new office soon that actually has windows, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But they always stick us poor IT people in, in holes with no windows. Yeah, if you can find a seat with a window in the IT world, you've got it made. That's how I, you know you made it to the top, right? I, I guess I'm on the in the in the coming weeks. I'm, I'm I've made it then, right. like big time. There you go. And so, who who does the distilling? Are so you both of us actually? Okay. Yeah, so we're both very hands on. We we kind of share the responsibilities right now. So, did you were you self taught or did you go apprentice somewhere? Because I, I always find that an interesting part of um, opening a distillery where hey, a brewery, anyone can homebrew to get practice, or some people do work at a brewery beforehand, but with a distillery, there are fewer options to learn how to distill. Yeah, and that, that's always a, another question we get options, a lot. I guess. Yeah, and definitely doing it legally. Um, uh, like I said, we had that homebrewing background, so we understood handling grain and mashing and water chemistry and all those basic things. Um, but as far as distilling, we just crammed all the books and information and forums and just everything we get our hands on. We go to the eight national EDI conferences, things like that. And, um, went to Kentucky, toured all the distilleries that we could drive to. Um, but I, I think what put it all in perspective for us was we actually, and this was back in 2014, so um, it's been quite a while. And I've always said that the industry is growing faster than the people that are making supplies for the industry. So, you know, barrel shortages and class shortages and equipment shortages, things like that you have to work around and figure out. Um, so there weren't many classes, there weren't many options, places to go learn how to do this. So we found a class out in Boise, Idaho at Eight Feathers Distillery. They were just a young startup, just like we are now. They were just a few months old. And um, for the, I think we paid $800 for the class a piece or something. It went out there. We got several days of hands-on distilling, like 12-hour days. Learned the process top to bottom, or at least not learning it, but putting it, you know, hands-on. Yeah. Helped put all the book knowledge into perspective. And I think that's when the point when we came back and said, you know, I, we can really do this. We, then that's when we really, you know, turned the heat on and started with the business plan and made it happen. So that you opened in, was it December of 2016? Right. Or- Okay. What, 13, 14 months ago? Yeah, so it, how, how has the first year in change been? Good. Um, like any new business, there's a lot of a learning, and it's uh, I think it's important to know that, at least for me, and, and it's humbling to learn how to run a business. 
Um, there's lots of things you don't think about. You you know, like anyone else, you think you're going to go in and distill and make these great, wonderful products, and you don't think about equipment breaking or yeah. things going wrong or stuff breaking in the middle of the distillation or going home at night and doing QuickBooks and accounting and answering emails. And it's it's hard. It's long hours and long days, but I love every second of it. Have you and your partner divided up those types of tasks or are both you still doing a little bit of everything? Yeah, I mean, we, we divide up a few things, but we still, at this point, we still try to stay hands-on with everything. So we're learning and growing together. Uh, um, so what uh, what products do you offer now? So at this point, uh, being this young, uh, we have our white rum, which we release first, our Lady Anne white rum. Uh, we now have an overproof version of that, which is a lot of fun. Um, we have our Terra Maria Spiced Rum, and we have our uh, kind of, we call it a working man's whiskey. It's a young corn whiskey. Okay. All right. Do you have um, whiskey in barrels right now to release a longer-aged one when when you've been around for, for a longer time, or are you not going to get into that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something we're, we're gunning for, but... Um, you know the capital expenditure to put it's like shoving cash in a barrel and, and staring at yeah. it for two years and hoping there's more cash in it when you're done right but uh yeah we're definitely putting putting away some barrels we're, we just put away some bourbon um we're trying to so our big thing is we try to do everything locally so um, we want all of our grains to come as close to the distilleries we can get them so so far the only thing we, we haven't gotten locally in our current batches is our malt but all of our corn and wheat have come from a local farm just 10 or 15 minutes away and uh, we just found a source of rye, too, that was grown locally in the county. So uh, rye will be our next big project. Um, and, and lots of other plans this year, too, vodka, gin, some flavored things, liqueurs that we're looking at. So, But we're just taking our time. It's, about, it's not about putting a bunch of products out. It's about putting out a few products that, that are exactly how we want them. It's smart, so smart, purposeful right. expansion or right. growing of the. So, what you started sipping on something? What were you drinking? Yeah, so I, this I'd is like to try some of sure. that. Oh, I already had some. There of you it. go. I poured two. So clear that I, I didn't even notice I had some. So this is our Lady Anne White Rum. It's kind of our 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 first spirit that we release. Kind of our staple of everything we do. Um, we actually make it with a dark brown sugar that we get from Domino Sugar in Baltimore. So sugar cane doesn't grow in Maryland, but that's as close as we could source. And we like the product that they give us. It's very consistent, and we're able to make a pretty consistent product with it. But um, th- this one is a lot of fun. And I think a lot of people – we change a lot of minds in the distillery about rum. A lot of people don't understand it. And it's funny. I like to tell this story. Um, this little lady came in the distillery for a tour a few weeks ago, and she had to be mid-late 60s. And uh, I tried everywhere in the world to get her to taste rum. And she told me that she would not taste it. And she had not had rum since a bad day in college. <laughs> I was like, you know what? If you've been holding out that long, I'm not going to push it on you. So, But most often we're able to change a lot of minds about rum because there's so much more character and flavor and body. And um, then your Bacardi's and, you know, the big guys. I had a really bad day in college thanks to uh, rumple mints. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something I can just put behind me and never drink again and not feel bad about it right right <laughs> yeah so but it's a good thing you didn't bring a peppermint schnapps because i go. may not have wanted <laughs> you know i'm still warming up to tequila a little bit so i think i think so everybody has their bad day it, see i've never liked tequila but mm-hmm. people keep telling me that it's because i haven't had a good tequila which go. probably is the case because i mean before starting to do um these podcasts with distilleries i would say i didn't like spirits and 
I used to always have to give the disclaimer for the first, probably the first four guests we had on that any grimace I make or any mm-hmm. negative reactions I have is not a, a judgment of the product. It's me not liking it. And then like as more and more people came in and I actually, I don't know that there's, I don't know that anyone's brought something in that I didn't like. It turns out I've just drank rail <laughs> spirits apparently and only had garbage. Right. And I, I still don't like scotch, but cause I don't like that peaty flavor. You'll get there. I no, I don't, probably won't. You don't think so? <laughs> no, because every time I try it, like no matter how like how old it is, or someone tells me how amazing it is, I, I keep trying, and I just I can't get past that. If it's not, I can't remember. There's the two regions. The one region is less peaty. Mm-hmm. Like I like that scotch a little bit, right. but um, I I still can't get past disliking peatiness. It's different, and it, it's all about evolving your taste. I mean, I think that's really what's pushed. All of this, all of craft beer, all of craft spirits, as people, or even food trucks. I mean, it's in in all of these these industries, people want to taste something new. It's not just about having a lager anymore. I, I really like this. It has um, it's smooth, but it still has a nice manageable burn as mm-hmm. it as it goes down. Right. Yeah. We want you to know what you're drinking, but we want it to be very sippable. Um, most people aren't going to drink a white rum straight. I'm nerdy about it. I do, but I, I, um, this is completely. Uh, I I would have no problem drinking this straight. Right. I think it has just enough character and flavor to it that that you can do that. And the reason we make this with a um, a dark brown sugar as opposed to a molasses or something like that is we want it. To, we get a cleaner fermentation with the sugar, so um, it comes out a cleaner spirit that way. And we do filter it lightly. We filter it just. I used the tiniest bit of charcoal. It's made out of toasted coconut shells, actually. So um, it's just to round it out and make it a little smoother if you do want to sip it. But most white rums are meant to be um, a mixer in a cocktail, and that's what we're going for. We there are we, we actually did start making our rum. Our first batches were made with the molasses, and uh, they were a little heavy. Had some characters that um, we liked, but they kind of compete sometimes if you put put it in a lighter cocktail. Um, so we experimented and came up with this recipe that we're really enjoying so the um do you have a signature signature cocktail that you recommend with your rum or is it just whatever the person um, likes i don't this is so versatile i don't push a single cocktail my favorite thing to do is with this is just a classic daiquiri i mean most people are going to think daiquiri and think frozen on the beach but there's like daiquiri on the rocks and i'm not the best at cocktails either so i like to keep it simple Nothing makes me more angry than to try to make a fancy cocktail and go spend a bunch of money on ingredients and I forget about it and our mint leaves rot in the corner of the fridge. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just try to keep things simple. Um, I do a 3-2-1 kind of daiquiri, three ounces of rum, two ounces of lime juice, one ounce of syrup, and a shaker, and a coupe glass. It's delicious. You can't get it wrong. The cu- is that the new glass that is the popular one? And it's a, just kind of the tall stem and with a big with bowl. bowl. Yeah. With, well, uh, you're thinking like big margaritas. That well, no, no I was just smaller. saying they're um, in the last um, edition of the Uncapped magazine. We I we had an article about the proper glassware, and one of them was that um, martini glasses mm-hmm. are out of fashion, but the coupe glass is the the new cocktail mixed drink glass that that all the bars and mixologists are using i like it i use them at home so i don't own any i i actually most of the time 
anytime I'm drinking spirits now, I, I end up just I, I bought a the ball glass maker. I just drop that in there and okay. pour whatever it is over that and drink it straight. I gotcha. Or yeah. gin and tonics. I've become partial to gin and tonics also. So you're growing. I am. You, I'm expanding yeah. my horizons. That's what it's about. Try new things. Grow your palate. I, yeah, but I mean, two years ago, nothing but beer. So right. now, now I'm, I'm slowly, which has become much more convenient because if I go someplace that uh, has nothing but crap beer, they almost always have decent uh, spirits and increasingly more and more local ones, which is nice that the, the bars seem to be starting to latch on to that. Mm-hmm. Not, even if they're not pushing local beer, they seem to be definitely on the local spirits. Yeah, definitely. And that's, it's all part of just being young in the industry, right? So I always think maybe we're 10 years behind where beer was or where beer is now. Um, People don't know what a craft spirit tastes like. You know, what is it? Where do you get it from? Who's making it? And I think when we're able to get out and tell these stories and, and uh, I'm just as much of a consumer of it as I am making it. So I still love to go out and visit all the distilleries and meet the owners and, you know, just like you do. And I think that's help, that helps grow it. And and knowing that sitting here with me and knowing that I made this and this is my recipe and um, knowing that it's something special and local, I think it aids in, in learning to understand what it is and taste it and try new things. And they, they, um, I know like Roast House Pub, which will take our break soon to thank them for their support, has uh, – the owner has mentioned that in addition to the beer dinners he does, mm-hmm. he wants to start doing – the five course meals paired with cocktails with local distilleries. So I think that that's going to be a really cool addition too. Cause I think that's one thing I haven't done yet is any kind of a spirit and food pairing. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I'm going to guess it has the same kind of nice experience as with beer and food pairings where the alcohol and the food will accentuate each other. Right. But, uh, the next, uh, Roast House Pub Beer Dinner is with RJ Rockers on February 27th, which I know it's not quite a hike, but it's a little far, but I urge you should sometime come out to one of his yeah, beer definitely. dinners. Come they are amazing. And then on Valentine's Day, February 14th, um, you could take your Valentine to Roast House Pub for specials on Flying Dog beers, $2 Flying Dog cans, $2 off of drafts, and valentine culinary specials and they'll be featuring horn dog and barrel aged gonzo so thank you again roast house pub for your continued support and i look forward to the cocktail dinners so what else did you bring with you yeah so that was our, our first lady in so like i was telling you 80 proof we filter it lightly and um, we just released a few weeks ago an overproof version so um it's a little braver i enjoyed in cocktails it is comes in at 120 proof that's strong. It is. It's a little stronger. <laughs> but we did compensate for it a little bit in that we didn't filter this rum, so there's a, a little more flavor in it that helps compensate for that extra heat. So I'll pour that one up for you. But what's amazing about this is, and I think it goes to show the kind of artsy craft side of everything that we do, is that every little piece of this process really affects the product that you get. So you'll see a very distinct flavor difference in this, even though it's made the exact same way except for proofing it down and the filtering. But you get a very distinct different flavor from it. There's definitely the nose. You, you definitely can tell that there's a little more octane behind it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's the one where you get the burn going in both directions, <laughs> <laughs> straight into the, that. I, although it's done a great job of clearing my sinuses. We'll take a small sip, let, a, it, let it coat your mouth, get that burn out of the way, then come back for a second. Yeah, that's, and that's when you I, can get the flavor. I, I guess I had there, and I think that was maybe part of my mistake previously with i like i didn't know how to mm-hmm. taste spirits i would do the first one and just be turned off by it right and then then I, someone finally said that to me like that first mm-hmm. sip is your mouth getting used to the and your senses getting used to the the assault on right. them exactly <laughs> and then um then the second sip is when you actually get to enjoy it but you could definitely so is it the sweetness that and there's this fuzz floating around here it's driving me crazy um so is the added sweetness because it's not um filtered yeah you get a little extra sweetness but there's there's really no sugar we don't add any sugar or anything to it it's just i think it's more of a perception of sweetness because the the flavors that are in there it kind of reminds me like if you really take your time and nose it a little bit you get a little cotton candy a little fruity um have you ever had the little, um, they're like marshmallows, a little orange circus peanuts? Yeah. A little bit yeah. of that on the nose. So it's kind of fun. It's, it's a fun mixture of, of aromas and flavors. So, so with the suggestion it's a perception, of that, I completely, yeah. like now I can remember as a kid eating those. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I didn't get it for the longest, and some I forget who it was. Someone told me that, and I was like, that that's it. You nailed Some it. weird adult who had just <laughs> had circus peanut candy. I don't think I've had them in 20 years. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if they make but, them anymore. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure they got to have them somewhere because there's all the. They, every once in a while, you'll see one of those candy shops that have like all the real old candies, and I always wonder like, where's that come from? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like there'd be enough produced right, to right. support those. So maybe there's just warehouses full of expired candy. That <laughs> I don't think you know if they were expired. <laughs> but this is fun, right? Yeah, on the previous on the subsequent tastes. Actually, the bar- burn's like completely gone, so exactly. it's all flavor. That's mm-hmm. crazy, and it like even straight and without any ice, which I normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't taste like it's a uh, hundred and twenty proof. So just like the the trend in craft beer, we don't want this to be boring. We want to pack as much flavor in this in this bottle that we can get. So flavor dense, and we distill it twice so we distill it once through a, a pot still and then we distill it the second time through a column but it's very slow very deliberate very controlled so we know exactly what we're getting off um that way we can replicate that that flavor profile that we aim for every time yeah i'm really bad at um discerning different flavors when mm-hmm. i taste them I took a beer tasting class thinking that then I like, this is how I'll be able to intelligently talk about the flavors. Now nah, I'm still, as I've said before, I I'm just barely better than being able to grunt good or bad when I taste things. Well, that's but, something that just, it just takes time and practice, yeah. you know, because like I w- I'll watch like a beer review video and there'll be someone who'll rattle off like 30 different flavors of mm-hmm. tasting. And all it's running through my head is, no, you're not. You're just naming <laughs> stuff that's popping into your head that tastes similar. <laughs> I do personally think at some point that it's it's it becomes more of a suggestion than anything. But I, you, there's only so many flavors that you can actually taste. Yeah. I really like this. This is good. 
This makes uh, some really fun cocktails, and it only takes a couple. Yeah, they will get it done quickly. <laughs> but yeah, if you make the the same daiquiri I was talking about earlier with this, it's it's delicious. So much more flavor, so much more character. So is is rum your favorite type of spirit? Is that where you, why you started there, or? Um, I don't. I wouldn't say rum is my favorite type of spirit. I think when you start, and you've probably had this discussion with other distillers that you had in, um, whiskey takes time. So yeah. how do you keep the doors open? How do you keep the lights on? Uh, there's a lot of vodka on the market. There's a lot of gin. So we said, hey, where can we start where we can kind of express who we are, kind of express how we distill and what we want out of a product? And we landed on rum. Um, I, I didn't really have an appreciation for rum before we started distilling. And once I got in and realized that, hey, this category is wide open to make rum however I want to. And so you, so you can rum by definition by TDB standards has to be made just by sugarcane. So sugarcane includes granular sugar, um, granular sugar with molasses added, different grades of that, so light brown sugar, dark brown sugar, um, any grade of molasses, there's three or four or five different grades of molasses, um, all the way from sweet table grade all the way to uh, blackstrap. There's um, sugarcane syrup, sugarcane juice, or you can use any combination of any of those. So it's unlimited. It's so not as like long saying as it's derived from sugar. Right, right. So we said, hey, how are we going to make this rum? This, what, what are we going to use? Um, and we started out with a uh, really sweet molasses, a table grade molasses. Grade A is what they call it. We actually got that from Domino Sugar too. It's called Homemade Molasses is their branding. And um, I, I liked making the rum with that because I got to taste it the whole time. But dealing with molasses was kind of a pain. But it just came across a little heavier and funkier than we wanted. We wanted something light and um, a little cleaner. So we went back to the table and came up with this idea to use the dark brown sugar. So where we were using a lot of molasses with a little little sugar in it, now we're using a lot of sugar with a little molasses. So it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, but we get a really clean fermentation from it. And um, the strain of yeast that we use gives us all these kind of citrusy, um, fruity, cotton candy um, profiles that we really enjoy. So all that comes from the molasses and little bit from the sugar and a lot from the yeast and of course you know every step of the process just like we demonstrated from those two tastings one's 80 proof one's 120 proof made exactly the same way but tastes completely different so every step of the process from mixing the sugar up and measuring ph and the fermentation temperatures we control down to one degree um, all those factors come into play when we're trying to get exactly what we want so science behind it but a lot of art to it as well you know, do we ferment at 85 degrees or do we ferment at 75 degrees? Two different products. And which one of those do we want? Yeah, I was, um, I, I took a uh, whiskey making class. And I don't know why I, I ever thought that it wouldn't. Um, or maybe I just never even thought about it at all. But I was surprised to find out that, um, that, that the yeast actually makes it different. I guess I kind of always just thought, like, Everything before the distilling process didn't matter all that much, mm -hmm. um, mainly because before talking to you guys as much as I have, I, I knew nothing about distilling. Um, but I, I just, I really thought that I found that to be one of the most surprising things as I learned about how learned about distilling is that so much of the flavor does come from beforehand. Mm -hmm. Exactly, it really does. You know the types of um flavors that get created it really most of it gets created during the fermentation honestly and, it, and the distillation just determines what flavors you extract out um so 
it all starts with what kind of sugar do you use to make it, or sugar source, um, and how do you ferment it. And then you determine how you want to extract those flavors through the distillation process. And that's kind of, distillation is science, but how you get those flavors out and where you make your cuts, what temperatures, um, that's all the kind of artsy side of it. Um, I wish I could say it was mostly science and predictable and you could do it the same every time. It's not always the same every time, so... Um, there is a ton of science involved, though. Right, it definitely is. But once you once you learn that science and it's repetitive and you can repeat it every time, then it becomes okay. Now it's my personality coming through. I know, I know something's going to happen at this point, but <clears throat> I want to fudge it just a little bit more. What do I get out of that? So that's where the art and the experimentation and everything right. comes. Once you have the science down, then you can. Mm-hmm bring the art aspect out right it. and that really comes into play in whiskey too so uh throw out you know the heads hearts and tails three parts to distillation throw all the heads out you keep the hearts um, if you're going to bottle a white whiskey or something you don't want any tails you want to keep hearts the cleanest whiskey you can make but when you're going to age a whiskey the tails is what actually interacts in the barrel and creates all the flavors over time so how deep in the tails do you go oh i didn't it why is that it's just the way the uh, the different things that are formed during fermentation. You don't just make ethanol and CO2 during fermentation. Yeah. There's all kinds of other chemicals. So all those kind of have different boiling points. They come off at different points during the distillation. The higher boiling points like methanol and acetone come off first, boiling the 150s. So that's the first thing to uh, um, come off the still. So then you go through the hearts, which is all the core ethanol that you want to good sweet, good-tasting ethanol you want to keep. And then towards the end is a higher boiling point chemicals that get created during the fermentation so how deep you go into those and how they interact in the in the barrel and how long it takes for those things to interact in the barrel kind of creates a different product as well okay so that it's it, so if you put just the hearts in would it not be as good or it would just be different it would probably not if say so if we were making a bourbon and i just took exactly what i thought was the hearts and put that in a barrel for two years it would probably not be a good whiskey at all Huh, I didn't know that. See, I still, every time, learn something new. At least in my opinion. I don't think okay. it would be good. I think you got to have some of those. That's where all the, the character and flavor comes in. So is that what it's – so that's the part. It's those chemicals that cause the reaction with the – to pull the um, – I can't remember what part – what the, the sugars and mm-hmm. the flavors out of the wood. Right, break yeah. down the in combination the with the ethanol, right? Okay, yeah. So barrels, you got to think of them as kind of a living, breathing kind of thing as well. So, um, wood is porous. As the barrel heats up during the day or during the summer, that liquid expands on the inside, and inside the barrel is charred. So that liquid will push through that charred layer into the wood, and as it cools off in night or in the winter, and whatever these cycles are, it pulls it back out of the wood. So it's almost passing through this charred layer of filtering, just charcoal. And that's what pulls out the flavor. Oh, cool. And creates it, flavor. I heard there is a cooperage opening in Maryland soon. Yes, Free State. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited about that. Um, I haven't talked to them in a while. I'm not sure what their timeline is, but we're excited about it for sure. Wait, so you'll start using, are you going to source some barrels from them? Oh, definitely. That's, that'll, that's That'll go it. So that will that take you into everything being local then? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so there's a malt house open in Howard County. We get our corn and wheat, rye. We'll be getting barley from Howard County. Um, we get the sugar from Baltimore. Um, yeah, once we get barrels, we'll be good. We just we use our, our local water there, too. So, All Maryland. Yeah, all Maryland. And so now you have the 
I guess we'd do spice rum next. Yeah, we'll do spice rum next. This is our Terra Maria spice rum. It's actually Latin for Mary's land. Get you poured up here. So this one is a lot of fun. It's our best seller. We probably sell four or five bottles to, of this to every one bottle of our white rum. Um, it's unique. So a lot of people hear spiced rum. They think Captain Morgan, Sailor Jerry's. Um, I don't particularly care for those. My, my personal taste. So mm-hmm. when we set out to say, hey, we're going to make a spice rum, you know, how how is our spice rum going to be different? So um, those tend to be very sweet, syrupy. Um, they'll coat the inside of your mouth. It actually makes my stomach hurt a little bit. It's just too sweet. Um, but this is very light, crisp. It's literally rum and spices. So we add the cinnamon, nutmeg, star anise, um, allspice. We have ginger, orange peel, we have vanilla. And at the very end, we add just the tiniest amount of dark brown sugar. So we don't want this to be very sweet. The way I feel about it is once you get the sugar in the bottle, you can't take it out. But if it's not in there, you can always add it in a cocktail. So I want you to taste the spices. I want you to taste the character behind it, not sweetness. So at what point do all those spices get added in? Is that during during the distilling process? It's or after. Is there, okay. Yeah. In the, like in a barrel or... We use a big stainless vat. Okay. Yeah, so we collect off the still, um, proof it down to about 100 at our spices, and then let them macerate over time. I definitely pick up the anise. I like that. So th- that's funny you say that. So this is an incredibly hard spirit to balance because everyone has a different sensitivity to different flavors. Um, some people come to the distillery and absolutely hate star anise. So that's anise. the first. Or anise or anise, however you say it. I don't know. I it's, say it both ways. Okay. I don't know which is I, right. I thought I said it wrong. Oh, well, so we'll just go with whatever we say then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll switch back and forth yeah. to keep it confused. Um, that's not easy to do. I mean, that's not <laughs> hard to do. See, I'm already confused. There you go. Uh, some people will taste it right off the bat because they're real sensitive to it or don't like the black licorice kind of taste. So I, I'm not a huge fan of it either, so I try to keep it subdued, but there so that you know it, it's it's there. Um, some people come in and say, oh, I really taste a lot of orange, which to me, I don't taste a lot of orange. Yeah, I don't so, get a lot of the orange. Right. So um, it's incredibly hard to balance with everyone's subjective uh, profiles, but we do our best with it. But I, I think this is really fun, and it's it's delicious in eggnog and apple cider. Um, I actually like to, just like the classic daiquiri I was talking about earlier, mix this in a classic daiquiri. It just elevates it. Um, shake it over ice, let it sit in your glass for a few minutes to warm up, and once it starts to warm, kind of these flavors of the spices or aromas of the spices start to come out. It's incredibly fun. Yeah, I get a little bit of the allspice. But definitely the anise. I'll go with that one this time. There you go. Um, but uh, see, I'm like one of those weirdos that love black jelly beans. Really? I, I, you can get rid of all the other ones. I just want the black jelly beans. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Um, uh, that That's one of the flavors I can always pick out right right away actually said i may agree that that i don't know it's a toss-up between the um the regular and the spiced i like both i like both of them in different ways Mm -hmm. they both have a, a different purpose everyone always asks me what's my favorite and like them both they, they have different do different things with them so it depends on the mood this one seems to be the most smooth or maybe that's just because my my palate's been this one is conditioned a, to 
t- the to the alcohol, but it, it seems to be more smooth. I think it's a perception of smoothness or softness or easier to drink because of the extra flavor being in there. Okay. Um, actually, we just bottled what's well, today's Monday. We just bottled this Friday night, and uh, out of an experiment, we didn't um, filter this batch of rum just to see what flavors it lent to um, the final product after we add the spices. So gave us a little bit different profile than our last batch. Which I like with this one, it gives a little, at, at the end, a little tingle, like right on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. This, that the other ones I didn't seem to get from. A little, maybe from the peppery, from the allspice. Right, and then we have the 1634 corn whiskey. Yep, the corn whiskey. What is the significance of 1634? So 1634 is actually the year that those settlers arrived in Maryland. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's kind of like a kind of like of a saying that we're honoring their hard work, and you know, because a lot of work goes into making whiskey. It's not an easy thing to make. Go ahead. I'll add dumping whiskey onto this tablecloth with all the beer that's been dumped on it. I guess I could have left that open for you so you didn't have to. Okay. So this one is a lot of fun. Um, Corn and wheat all grown in Howard County. The only thing in this not grown locally was the malt. Um, Just because of the category of corn whiskey, it has to be 80% corn. So um, we don't like to use enzymes when we do our mash to do a conversion. So we like a natural conversion. So we had to use a distiller's malt so the diastatic power is high enough to, for the, to convert the whole batch. So natural conversion with that distiller's malt. Uh, do a cereal cook. All, we mill all our grains fresh on site. So we just bring in the corn and wheat from the farm and mill it in our hammer mill. Um, cereal mash, regular mash, uh, fermentation, double distilled. So we actually do distill this through a column. But uh, So first time through a pot still, second time through the column. And then um, this went into an uncharred barrel for about three three to four months. So it's rested. I won't call it aged. I will say it's rested. It does get some oak character. You can see the color is a little bit of this light straw color. Um, everyone always asks, what's the difference in corn whiskey and bourbon? Bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. It has to go into a barrel that's made of American oak, brand new, and charred. So corn whiskey is different than it has to be 80% corn. Um, cannot go into a new charred barrel. It has to be a used or uncharred barrel. So we wanted to keep this completely separate from anything that we do on the bourbon side. So we put it in a just a wooden barrel, not charred at all. Okay. So it rests for, like I said, three to four months. Um, just let it oxidize a little, mellow out a little bit, develop some of that oak character, just to add a little complexity. But this is, even though it's very similar to a bourbon recipe, like a Maker's Mark has 70% corn and it's weeded. So this is 80% corn and weeded, um, so not far off. But it's completely different in, in what that tastes like, and so you don't get the vanillas or um, maybe leather or honey or some of the other bourbon characteristics that you're used to because you don't have that char in the barrel. So I think it's a unique expression to show, hey, this is what a spirit starts as, and then in a year or two years when we have a bourbon, you can taste what it tastes like then. Then we have a two-, three-, four-year-old. So at some point we have to be able to do a vertical flight where you can taste them all and learn about the barrel all at one point, right? Yeah, I can't remember the intervals, but I took McClintock's whiskey-making class. Okay. And they had, um, like, their their white whiskey mm-hmm. aged, I think, maybe a week. 
and then there was a three month, five month, a year, and then a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy how dramatic right. even just the short interview intervals mm-hmm. it, it is. Yeah, it's it's amazing what the barrel actually does. I mean, I would be I'd be willing to say fifty percent of the flavor of bourbon comes from the barrel. Is it my imagine? Can like should I be smelling corn? Yes. Or is that, okay. Yeah. Because right, like that when I smell it, I get a strong mm-hmm. sense of smelling corn. I didn't know if that. Yeah. Is. So it's a very kind of sweet, distinct profile you get from the corn, and a lot of that sweetness is what interacts in the barrel and creeps, creates those um, caramels and vanillas that you get in the bourbon. I think that's probably what the car like. That's uh, I get a lingering caramel taste on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice too. So Maybe this I'll is just give up on beer. Good spirits. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> no, we love our beer too. Yeah, I know. I'm not. In. I'm not going to. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Can never give it up. So what? Um, what size barrels do you use? Um, combination of different sizes. So this was aged in a full size 53 gallon barrel. Um, I guess our staple products, or what we'll call our straight bourbons and straight ryes, will all be aged in 53 gallon barrels. Um, in an effort to just kind of experiment and see where where things go and kind of test our distilling practices and things like that, we do have some bourbon in 15 gallon barrels. So uh, those have been in four or five months. We're we're aiming nine to 12 months for those. So mid late summer, we'll have some some uh, bourbon that we'll release. We'll see how that comes out, and we'll kind of tweak our bigger batches of bourbon based on you know how those taste. So now, um, for several of the products you mentioned, running through a pot still first, mm-hmm. and then a column. Is it? Do you have two separate stills, or is it just the same still in different configurations to run as a pot still, or then use the column? Right. So it's the same still. It's okay. a it's a hybrid system. So all we have to do is flip a valve, and we can run either pot still mode or through the column. So we always do the two distillations. Um, the first. So like with our whiskey, we'll do four mashes, three you know three hundred gallons each. So we'll have tw- tw- about twelve hundred gallons of mash. We'll distill 300 gallons at a time through pot still, collect the low ones, um, and then take all the low ones from the four distillations, put it back in the still, and then run through the column. So the column just gives us a little bit of control over what's coming out. So we have what's called a deflamator on top of the column. It's basically a precondenser to the condenser, and we have um, some control over controlling the temperature of the, the alcohol vapor coming out of the column. So... Let's say we're distilling our whiskey, and we think it tastes great. At a, at a it's the vapor's coming off at 180 degrees and 158 proof, whatever it is. Um, we're able to lock that pre-filter in with water flow and kind of a controlled water valve that we can lock that flavor profile in and keep it steady. So it just gives us a little control over the process. So uh, how long did it take you to open? I meant to ask that earlier, and then we got yeah, sidetracked so by the tasting the del- your delicious work. <laughs> It's okay. I'm still drinking too. <laughs> um, so opening for us was a quite a challenge. Um, we formed the company in May of 2014. Uh, we opened in December of 2016. So two and a half years it took us. Um, I think we could have done it in 12 to 18 months. Uh, we did have a lease problem where our original location didn't work out. We were going to be close to jailbreak over in Laurel, which we were super excited about. I love those people. They're awesome. And Another um, group of IT people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's actually, you know, those guys are uh, friends of friends. So they had like a beta tasters club when they first opened. We yeah. joined. We heard about it and joined. Went over to took a tour or take a tour, pick up our T-shirts. And um, Andy and I went together. 
And we kind of walked through that day and said, you know what, we would love to do something like this. This will, this will be awesome. We, we've got skills. Why can't we do this? And so we started reading about it and in reading about it, that's where we ran across these articles about craft distilleries out west in Oregon, Washington State, California. And I came back to work and I was like, hey, Andy, have, have you heard of this? Because this doesn't really exist in Maryland or on the East Coast that much. At least I'm not hearing about it. And I'm a consumer and I follow this stuff. So he's like, you know what? He looked at me and he said, you might be onto something. And from that point, that's where it kind of blossomed into being more. But yeah, so that's where we started. Uh, we had some lease problems there that kind of delayed us and we had to have an attorney to help us get out and move to a new location but ended up in columbia which i think worked out wonderfully for us we're next door to hysteria brewing now um like i said earlier literally share a wall we joke all the time about we're going to knock a hole in the wall and <laughs> i was just going to make through. the same joke <laughs> so, yeah um i've actually got a couple uh about two thousand pounds of a the malt that we're not going to use i'm going to have those guys brew for us soon and we'll turn into a single malt that we'll probably put into one of their maybe stout barrels or something oh, cool so lots of collaborations going on we've done some outdoor events um they have uh if you had their trash panda their ipa yes yeah amazing the first i love first it beer of theirs i tried so it's a very very um, hazy grapefruity beer <laughs> yeah name's funny too but uh, we did some outdoor events this summer, and uh, we did a whiskey sour cocktail. And I said, what if I pour some of this grapefruity, kind of like tropical, hazy IPA on top? And it was delicious. So I said, okay, beer cocktails, that's fun. So we called it, uh, we started serving it, and we called it Pucker Panda. Nice. After whiskey <laughs> sour and trash panda. But lots of cool collaborations like that. We enjoy those guys. We share lots of stuff and ideas. And as we grow, as we get barrels, as we ramp up our production and and they get settled in with some of their core core beers and we're going to do a lot of collaborations it's going to be a great partnership there between the two of us that's a that's one thing i love about the two industries that that there is a lot of collaboration between the two mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's just because through meeting everyone the type of people who open distilleries are very similar to the type of people who open breweries so right. maybe that's why they just naturally get along um, or maybe it's because you start out brewing beer for mm-hmm. the most part, and then you just you turn it into spirits. So you have that camaraderie, but there there's so much collaboration and helping each other between the two industries. It's it's really exciting, and the um, the the results of a lot of those co- collaborations have been amazing. Well, I think we're all, I guess you could say, the same type of people. Right, so we we love to make things. We love to make things that people enjoy. We love the craft of, you know, the fermentation and the distillation, and um, and I would even expand it to three industries, so wineries as well. So we've done collaborations with um, a good friend Drew up at Old Westminster. Um, they brought us a Merlot that they weren't completely happy with out of the barrel, so we distilled that up into a, a what they call a grape shine. Maybe so. that's why everyone likes you guys because you can save them. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, so that beer's yeah. bad. Bring it on. Let me over. turn it into yeah. something good. Oh, you don't like that wine? Come, we got yeah. you. Um, but no, it's it's fun. So, you know, they they took that grape shine and used it in some products this fall. It turned out amazing. So we're happy to work with them. Um, any of the breweries? Yeah, who knows what we're gonna do? It's just all about. It's like being in a band and writing a new song or something like that. I don't know if you play guitar or anything like that, but when I you're tried, around, it didn't go well. When you're around other musicians and somebody's better than you, it pushes you to be better. Yeah. Or and it's like that in anything else. When when you're around people that know a lot and you can bounce off ideas, bounce ideas off of each other, um, it's just a way to learn and grow. You know, teach each other and, and push each other. And I think we all share that and have that in common. So, where can people find you? 
So right now we're self-distributed. Uh, um, that'll probably be changing this year. We want to get a little bit wider distribution, but right now you can get us in mostly in Howard County, a few in Anne Arundel, a couple places in Carroll County, a couple places in the city in Baltimore. Um, but we're really focusing on our backyard in, in Howard County. Um, come some, if you're from Columbia or from Howard County, some of the local staples like Iron Bridge Wine Company, Victoria Gastro, or Manor Hill Tavern. Uh, those are some of our biggest accounts. Uh, Perfect Poor over in Elkridge. Um, yeah, anywhere in Howard County, we're, we're mostly there. In your address? Because I don't think we mentioned that. We said by Hysteria, but I don't think we described where the distillery is yeah so we're right off the main if you if you're familiar with columbia at all you know snowden river parkway so we're kind of on the south side close to 32 on burger road to so 9570 burger road it, and um you're fairly active on social media so people can keep up with what you're doing on facebook yeah find us on instagram facebook uh i'm not a huge fan of twitter but we do post on there but most of the good stuff goes to instagram and twitter we got our website. You can uh, hit our our main page at lostartdistilling.com. Sign up for a mailing list. We've got some cool stuff we're going to launch this year. Jen's vodka's flavored stuff. Um, big um, construction project that might be going on later this year that we're working on uh, with some new Maryland state laws that we're hoping to take advantage of. And um, even some stuff we talked about barreling whiskey earlier. Um, it costs a lot of money to barrel whiskey, a lot of time, and then you sit on it for a couple of years. So we're looking for creative ways to get people involved. So we're going to be launching this cool club here in a few weeks, hopefully. So um, sign up for our mailing list. We'll be launching that soon. Very cool. Um, and one thing I always ask people is um, an example of a ridiculous or bad review that you've received. But I just looked, and you have nothing but five-star reviews. <laughs> so once again, distilleries are very... Uh, disappointing with the comedic reviews well so yeah we do have all five star reviews on facebook i i pride myself in that um i never give the same tour twice i never give the same tasting twice i really make it personal for everyone i think that's kind of key but i did get the first four star review this last weekend on google okay um someone came in um i don't remember who it was i may not have even been there at the time but um they gave us a four star because our line we didn't have very many products, so um, that's sure. always the first question. People come in and say, "Can I taste your bourbon?" And I'm like, "Well, we're 13 months old, so yeah. uh, give us a little time. We'll have more products. We'll have some good aged whiskey. Um, patience is key. I'm not very patient, so it's killing me just as much yeah. as it kills everyone else, right?" I think the only so far the only place is uh, Lions had one where. It was still a four-star review, but uh, the person said that uh, some guy who they assume was the owner, uh, they felt like he was judging them the whole time they were there. <laughs> like that That's the worst distillery review we've heard so far. <laughs> that cracks me up. <laughs> so I guess if you want to have a funny review, just start glaring at people and judging them. Then man <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. But then it ended with, but the rum was really good, so we bought a bottle. <laughs> you know... People are so funny. As long as they enjoy the rum, so what? So what is your favorite Maryland-produced beer? Oh, well, man. one of, so we don't offend anyone. Favorite Maryland-produced beer? I have people ask me that about beer, about spirits all the time, and I always say the one that I haven't tried yet. Just in the spirit of innovation, in the spirit of pushing the industries, it's always the one that I haven't tried. I don't know what I don't know, So, and I love seeing what other people create. 
episode, like Trash Panda. Um, the guys at Hysteria are doing a great job. Um, I, I really, it would be unfair for me to name one. Because I, I can't tell you the last time I bought the same beer twice, honestly. Every time I go to the store, there's something new. Yeah. That's and I a, love that. I absolutely love that. Um, it kind of plays in one of my favorite uh, quotes from a brewery owner is uh, Rahul from Gunda. Okay. Where he said that um, what got him, one of the reasons that got him into brewing was he hasn't found the beer that he wants to drink yet. <laughs> so it's like, the, I, and I think that's ho- like a big part of that culture. Everyone's right. is, is trying that next thing. Like we're all searching for this, the next greatest beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think he nailed it. We're all searching for something that we haven't tried yet. You know, what, how can we push the limits, push ourselves and, and create something brand new that nobody else has ever tasted before. And I was, I was actually on the way up here. I was listening to your interview with Baltimore Whiskey Company, and shout out to those guys. They do some incredible stuff, and they're and some crazy stuff. I know. I, I, <laughs> I love it. I love the stuff that they make. I haven't tasted it all yet, but I'm listening to the interview. I'm like, wow, these guys are they're they're pushing the limits. I, yeah. I'm putting chickens in the still. Yeah. And, well, it's incredible. But that just goes to show when you give somebody free reign to make what they want to make and produce and be creative, then what are the limits? Yeah, it's talking to those guys. It's like everything he went on to the their next thing. I'm like, what? You do right. that? That's right. crazy. It's and amazing. Then you try yeah. it, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. It's incredible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't even like. How do you even come up with doing that type right. of stuff? Yeah. And that's the fun of it. You know, what are we going to do next? And again, listen to that podcast. I had my wheels were turning the whole time. You know, oh, what can I do? So, all right. So, what's your favorite spirit then? My favorite spirit. Um, Honestly, the, the thing, so if I'm going to go home and drink, um, the thing I, I probably mix up the most or make a drink with the most is our white rum. And that's just because I'm a complete total nerd about it and completely OCD about getting it right every single time. And I, honestly, I don't know what right is yet because <laughs> we still tweak it a tiny bit every time. Um, but again, it's it's just that pursuit of perfection. And I don't think I'll ever reach perfect, but... Um, having a hell of a time getting there well i want to thank you uh so much for coming out i apologize again for the debacle of a start out that we had today um and you are making an amazing product thank you thanks for having me appreciate it thank you everyone for watching and listening cheers cheers the uncapped podcast is produced by graham cullen and me chris sands be sure to like us on facebook And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 